Strictly. Okay. We're ready. Good morning and welcome to the October 13, 2023 regular meeting of the San Francisco Ethics Commission. Today's meeting is being live cablecast on SFGov TV and streamed live online at sfgovtv.org slash ethics live. For public comment, members of the public may attend in person or may participate by phone or the WebEx platform as explained in our agenda uh, document. Mr. Clerk, please explain how the remote public comment will be handled today. Thank you, Madam Chair. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. Each member of the public will be allowed three minutes to speak. For those attending in person, opportunities to speak during the public comment period will be made available here in room 400 City Hall. For those attending remotely, public comment period can also be provided via phone call by calling 1-415-655-0001. Again, the phone number is 1-415-655-0001. Access code is 2663-753-0171. Again, access code is 2663-753-0174. Followed by the pound sign, and then press pound again to join as an attendee. When your item of interest comes up, press star three to raise your hand to be added to the public comment line. Public comment is also available via the WebEx client application. Use the WebEx link on the agenda to connect and press the raised hand button to be added to the public comment line. For detailed instructions about how to interact with the telephone system or WebEx client, please refer to the public comment section of this agenda document for this meeting. Public comment may also be submitted in writing and will be shared with the Commission after this meeting has concluded and will be included as part of the official meeting file. Written comments should be sent to ethics.commission at sfgov.org. Once again, written comments should be sent to ethics.commission at sfgov.org. Members of the public who attend commission meetings, including remote attendants, are also expected to behave responsibly and respectfully. During public comment, please address your comments to the commission as a whole and not to individual members. Persons who engage in name-calling, shouting, interruptions, or other distracting behavior may be excluded from participation. The following behaviors or activities are strictly prohibited during remote participation. Applause or vocal expression of support or opposition, signs regardless of content or message, profanity, threats of physical aggression. The prohibition on signs does not apply to clothing, which includes signage pinned to clothing, messages displayed on clothing, pins, hats, or buttons. This provision supplements rules and policies adopted by City Hall, the Sheriff's Office, or the Board of Supervisors related to decorum, prohibited conduct or activities, noise, etc., and is not meant to be exhaustive. Thank you, Madam Chair. Okay. Thank you. I now call the meeting to order. Item one, uh, please call the roll. Commissioners, please verbally indicate your presence after your name is called. Commissioner Flores Fang. Aye. Vice Chair Finlove. Here. Chair Lee. Present. Commissioner Salahi. Present. Chair Lee, with four members present and accounted for, you have a quorum. Okay, let's go to agenda item number two, which is general public comment on items, um, just general public comment. And for those of you who wish to comment on agenda item number seven, please wait until that item is called. Any public comment in the room? I see none. Let's go to the queue, please. 
Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue. Okay. Uh, let's go to item number three, four, and five, which is consent calendar. Um, colleagues, let's know that on the agenda, there will be no separate discussion on the consent calendar item unless a request is made by a commission member or a member of the public in attendance, in which event the matter shall be removed from the consent calendar and considered as a separate item. I wish to remove item number five, the director's, <clears throat> number four, the acting executive director's report uh, because I have an operational question. So if we can act on consent items number three and five, do I see a motion? Move to adopt the consent calendar. Second. Okay, let's go for public comment, please. Okay, we will look, check for remote. Please stand by. Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue. Okay. Um, let us go to, uh, before I do that, I want to make an announcement that I will be moving agenda item number seven after the consent calendar action, um, given the um, interest in this item. So uh, for those people who are waiting, in the queue, uh, let's make sure that they will be waiting in line for the for the comment. Uh, I do want to take out number five and number four, the acting executive director's report, specific on the question uh, regarding Chair, the budget. Should we adopt the consent calendar first, Madam? That are that you remain within it. Did we vote? We didn't vote yet. No. Oh, we did. Okay. So um, do I have a consent vote? Yes. Okay. Unanimous consent. Let's go to uh, acting executive director's report. I have an operational question for our um, acting director. A couple of days ago, uh, it was in the press that the mayor had ordered a mid um, uh, year budget cut across the board. So can you explain to us what this will mean to the operation of the commission? Yes, uh, Madam Chair, um, this Wednesday we received information from the mayor's office that as the economic recovery of the city is slower than expected, city departments are asked to uh, propose target cuts um, amounting to 3% of their operational budget. So essentially, we're asked to look at various areas of spending to see where we can identify savings. And one of the ways that we can do that is using salary savings and vacancies. Uh, and this information is due to the mayor's office on October 26th. So we are uh, currently looking into our um, budget and spend. Uh, as you know, we have uh, several vacancies currently for this fiscal year, so that'll be some um, one area that we'll definitely look into. So uh, we don't have a definitive um, analysis or answer yet, um, but I will be adding this uh, information to the next meeting's agenda for more details. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's make sure that there would not be any uh, result in staff reduction. Yes, we are certainly looking into assessing whether there will be any operational impact, and we'll um, keep you apprised. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we have public comment on this item. We have one caller in the queue. 
Okay, please stand by. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Thank you. I hit asterisk three prematurely. I'm, I'll wait till item number seven. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Madam Chair, there's no further callers in the queue. Um, I have a motion to approve the acting executive director's report. I don't think we need any action on that. That was just for informational purposes. Right? Okay, great. Let us proceed to agenda item number seven, discussion and possible action regarding request for waiver of post-employment restrictions for Mr. Daniel Bunnell. Uh, first, uh, um, I want to make a disclosure. Item five was also removed from the consent calendar. Yes. And to do that with item four, do we have, do we call for public comment separately on item five? Uh, she, no, no, she I only removed item number four. Okay. Thank yeah. You. Okay. So first I want to make a um, um, disclosure before we begin on this item. I have known Mr. Burnell for uh, many years in the professional capacity. Uh, I've been a constituent of Representative Pelosi for many, many years. And I've joined my fellow community members uh, to advocate uh, on behalf of uh, Chinatown and the Asian American, Pacific, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders concern for many, many years. Um, because uh, the speaker, Meretta Pelosi, has been very uh, committed to our uh, causes and concerns. Um, all these years, uh, I've known Ms. Bunnell in a, in a group capacity. All of our meetings has been in community settings. Um, and I have known him to be a, a very committed person to my community's um, uh, welfare and, and concerns. Uh, after I got on this commission, I stopped communicating with the speaker's office, uh, with the one exception uh, two years ago when I was appointed to the USDA Equity Commission. I sent an email to the speaker's Washington office uh, to let her office know of the critical work of the uh, Equity Commission. And as usual, I cc uh, to her um, district um, office chief of staff, which was Mr. Burnell. Uh, I had checked with uh, the assistant city attorney's office uh, because my working relationship, my, my um, uh, working uh, experience with Mr. Burnell has been professional and there's no personal or uh, financial relationship involved. So I am able to continue to participate in this item. So, uh, but before we open up this agenda item, do I have any other colleagues who wish to make any disclosures? If not, let us proceed. First, let us have our staff member, Mr. Michael Kenning, to give us the overview of this matter and then follow up with Mr. Bernal. 
thank you, Chair Lee, Commissioners. Uh, I'd like to briefly introduce the waiver request before the Commission today. Uh, Dan Bernal is the President of the San Francisco Health Commission and has served on that Commission since 2017. Mr. Bernal is seeking a waiver for the rule against employment with certain contractors found in subsection 3.234A3 of the Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code. This is a rule which prohibits officers and employees from being employed by or otherwise receiving compensation from any person or entity that entered into a contract with the city within the preceding 12 months where the officer or employee was personally and substantially involved in the award of that contract. Mr. Bernal has been offered a position with the University of California, San Francisco, or UCSF, as the Vice Chair Counselor of Community and Governmental Relations, uh, and is seeking a waiver so that he can accept this position with UCSF. A waiver is necessary because during the past 12 months, Mr. Bernal has uh, participated in six votes to approve nine contracts involving UCSF. The combined value of these contracts exceeds $75 million. Per section 3.234A3, Mr. Brunel uh, is prohibited from being employed by UCSF for 12 months following the entrance into these contracts. Uh, however, the Commission has the authority to grant a waiver to Mr. Brunel if the Commission finds that not doing so would cause an extreme hardship for Mr. Brunel. Uh, to determine if an extreme hardship exists, Ethics Commission regulations specify the Commission may consider Mr. Brunel's vocation, uh, the range of employers for whom he could work, the steps he has taken to find new employment, and any other factors the Commission deems relevant. While the Commission can consider any factors it deems relevant, those factors should be used only uh, to determine the existence of extreme hardship for Mr. Bernal. The staff recommendation against making a finding of extreme hardship and improving the waiver is based on several considerations. Number one, Mr. Bernal is currently employed as the Chief of Staff for Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi and is not required to leave this position, nor has Mr. Bernal engaged in an extensive job search to find additional employment opportunities uh, with other entities where his employment would not be prohibited. Uh, past waiver requests, such as the waiver approved uh, for Jeff Sheehy, focused heavily on the lack of appropriate opportunities available for the requester and the steps the requester had taken to find other employment. Number two, the scope and quantity of uh, the contracts Mr. Bernal was involved in, as well as the proximity of his involvement. Uh, unlike the recent um, waivers for Joanne Lee and Tracy Packer, where they were only involved in the award of at most two contracts each and the total value did not exceed $3 million, uh, Mr. Bernal was involved in nine contracts valued at more than $75 million. Also, in the case of the Packer waiver, uh, her involvement in the awarding of the contract occurred in 2019, whereas Mr. Bernal was involved in uh, these nine contracts within the last year. Number three, uh, concerns that granting such a waiver could contribute to the appearance of impropriety within city contracting and erode the public's faith in city government. If Mr. Bernal was to receive a waiver to work for UCSF, he would soon be occupying a lucrative position with an entity for whom he had recently helped enrich through his city position. Even if those decisions were made fairly and without undue influence, the public perception of such a situation could be harmful and is the exact type of situation this rule is intended to prevent. It seems clear that Mr. Bernal is an outstanding public servant who is well suited for this role with UCSF. The public comments already received and those likely to be heard today will attest to this fact, uh, and staff does not disagree with either point. Uh, it is also clear that UCSF does important work, which Mr. Bernal would be enthusiastic to participate in. However, those are not the most relevant facts. 
The law grants the commission the ability to grant a waiver only if, if fines doing so would cause Mr. Bernal an extreme hardship. While Mr. Bernal not being able to accept this position could be disappointing or even unfortunate, staff does not believe, based on the various factors discussed in the staff memo, that upholding this rule would cause Mr. Bernal an extreme hardship. Staff recommends the commission evaluate Mr. Bernal's request, and if the commission finds that denying Mr. Bernal a waiver would cause him an extreme hardship, only then should the commission grant such a waiver. Uh, if the commission does decide to grant a waiver to Mr. Bernal, staff would recommend the waiver be granted narrowly uh, and only apply to this specific position with UCSF. Uh, I believe Mr. Bernal is here as well as a representative from the Department of Public Health. Um, thank you, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Uh, colleagues, should we hold off questions until we hear from Mr. Bernal? Okay. Uh, Mr. Bernal is here. Welcome. Good morning. Um, good morning, Director Tykendiel, uh, Chair Lee, and Commissioners. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you this morning to request a waiver on the prohibition on receiving compensation from city contractors so I may accept an offer of state government employment as Vice Chancellor for Community and Government Relations at the University of California in San Francisco. I understand that this prohibition was created to protect the integrity of governmental decision-making and ensure that we as government officials act in the public interest and not in self our self-interest. I wholeheartedly support these goals. I've closely reviewed San Francisco ethics rules as well as recent waivers the Ethics Commission has granted and believe that my nominal participation in matters before the Health Commission related to UCSF and my professional and, per and personal qualifications for this unique employment opportunity warrant the Ethics Commission to grant me a waiver and allow me to accept this position. The UCSF Vice Chancellor position is a once-in-a-lifetime chance for me to continue working in the public sector at a high wage, which due to my current financial situation that was addressed in my original waiver request, I literally could not afford to ignore. Not being allowed to accept this position would create extreme hardship for me financially, professionally, and personally. I've dedicated my entire career to public service. For the last 22 years, I've been working in Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi's district office, most recently as her chief of staff. Before joining her office, I worked at the US Department of Education, both in Washington, DC, and in their San Francisco district office. My lived experience as a long-term survivor of HIV and AIDS has instilled in me a deep commitment to improving health equity and economic security in under-resourced communities. In 2017, I was appointed to the Health Commission by our late mayor, Ed Lee, to a seat that is traditionally reserved for someone who is living with HIV. I've been serving as president of the commission for the last three and a half years since just before the COVID state of emergency was announced. My fellow commissioners and I have served during a time of unprecedented health crises. These include a global pandemic that has taken the lives of millions of people around the world, an MPOX outbreak that has put stigma and fear in San Francisco's LGBTQ community, a growing fentanyl crisis that has worsened the tragedy of overdose deaths in San Francisco and the loss of Medicare and Medicaid certification for Laguna Honda Hospital. UCSF is the leading 
public uh, university in the nation dedicated to cutting edge medical research uh, to, uh, to graduate education in the health sciences and in medicine and also in patient care. UCSF is San Francisco's second largest employer after the city and county and the fourth largest employer in the Bay Area with over 25,000 employees and they contribute nearly $9 billion to the local economy. Serving as Vice Chancellor would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me where I could both continue my career in public service at a prestigious public university and contribute my knowledge, experience, and passion to support UCSF's leadership in advancing health in San Francisco and worldwide. It would also, my, my father just called me from Miami, it would also make my 85-year-old father very proud, he asked me to tell you. Um, if I'm allowed to accept this offer of state government employment, I intend to spend the rest of my career working at UCSF. As a person living with HIV for more than 33 years, I have a deep and personal connection to UCSF's mission and values. I know that I would not be alive today if it were not for their leadership in the earliest days of the AIDS crisis and for the courage and dedication of researchers and physicians like Dr. Paul Volberding and Dr. Eric Goosby and Dr. Diane Havlier and Dr. Monica Gandhi. When I tested positive at age uh, HIV positive at age 19, my immune system had less than 200 T cells, and I was taking some of the earliest drugs like AZT that had really horrible side effects. I suffered from opportunistic infections, severe weight loss, and facial wasting, and had to give myself start give myself myself painful injections twice a day as salvage therapy when all other treatments that were available had failed. It wasn't until 2006 when I was able to enter a clinical trial at UCSF for an experimental drug that my health began to improve. Um, it would be a great privilege for me to work for an organization that played such a pivotal role in my life and helped instill in me a spirit of public service that has framed my entire professional career. When I was approached for the vice chancellor position, there was a broad speculation that Speaker Emerita Pelosi would retire and I didn't know whether I'd have a job. When I received the offer from UCSF and had tentatively, tentatively accepted it, pending uh, the outcome of this waiver process, it was nearly two weeks before she had decided and announced that she was going to run for re-election. Before applying for the UCSF position, I researched available jobs in my field, met with recruiters from two different and separate search firms and spoke with other prospective employers. After much reflection and speaking with colleagues and my family, I concluded that the UCSF Vice Chancellor position was the perfect fit for my experience and qualifications, my strong commitment to working in public service, and my deep and personal connection to UCSF's work in HIV AIDS and advancing health equity. Lastly, the vice chancellor position is the only job I have found in government service or academia at this level of seniority or compensation that does not require an advanced degree. I didn't pursue an advanced degree because when I tested HIV positive in 1990, AIDS was considered a death sentence. I didn't think I would live past my 20s, let alone into my 50s, or have a career spanning into my 50s when I would have to start planning for retirement. This is why I have dedicated the time I do have to working in public service and I aspire to give back to an institution like UCSF that has played such a pivotal role in my life. I think it's important to address the staff memo's assertion that I played a key role in the Health Commission's consideration of contracts with UCSF. 
In reality, my participation was far less substantial than persons who were previously granted waivers under this section who developed RFP guidelines, reviewed applications, and made awards that eventually went to their future employer. Neither I nor any of the commissioners played any role in drafting the RFP, RFPs, reviewing bids, or negotiating with awardees. Instead, we participated in unanimous voice votes on consent calendar items, which received no public comment and had no separate discussion of any individual contracts. I believe my, matter, my involvement in matters before the Health Commission involving UCSF did not create a potential for or appearance of any undue influence, favoritism, or preferential treatment. None of my actions as Health Commissioner were taken in order to accrue any personal benefit, financial or otherwise, nor were they taken with the intention of benefiting a prospective future employer. Therefore, the waiver that I'm requesting, I believe, would be fully consistent with the intent of the law. Finally, I appreciate the staff memo raising the issue of Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code Section 3.206 regarding negotiating future employment. As mentioned in my waiver request, I spoke to the city attorney's office before participating in these commission votes related to UCSF. Per the staff's request, I will reach out to staff to discuss the issue after today's commission hearing. I feel like I've been preparing my whole life for this opportunity. Uh, it's my heartfelt belief that this position at UCSF is perhaps the best government affairs role in the Bay Area and a once in a lifetime opportunity for me and the culmination of my career in public service. As a long-term survivor of HIV and AIDS, I owe my life to the groundbreaking research and treatments and care USF spearheaded decades ago. It would be a great privilege to work for an institution that has played such a pivotal role in my life and helped instill in me a spirit of public service that has framed my entire career. Joining us to speak today is Dr. Grant Colfax, the Director of the Department of Public Health, as well as Terry O'Brien, who's the Associate Chancellor at UCSF. I'm also grateful and humbled to have the support of members of San Francisco's elected family and community leaders whom I've had the opportunity to work with over two decades to serve the people of San Francisco. Thank you again for your consideration of my waiver request, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank, Thank you. you. Before we have any questions. <laughs> Before we open up for questions among my colleagues, let's have Mr. Dr. Kovacs, who's in the room, I see. Well, good afternoon, commissioners. Grant Colfax, uh, in my professional capacity, I serve as Director of Public Health. I am here um, as an individual um, to speak in support of uh, Dan Bernal's um, ask for an exemption here. Um, I am very committed to ensuring that you hear what Dan has done and what he could do in this new position. I have known and worked with Mr. Bernal for two decades um, in very different capacities. And he is a deeply dedicated public servant, among the very best that I've ever worked with um, at any level. And I've had the privilege of working with Mr. Bernal in very different capacities. 
One, um, as somebody who previously here at the health department was uh, director of HIV prevention and research, and Dan was a deep champion of ensuring community support and his direct personal support for really critically important HIV research work that was done that has translated into a situation here in San Francisco where we are talking about getting to zero new infections. He was resolute in his local engagement and involvement in that capacity and also ensured that there was deep and sustained federal support for that work. I also worked with Dan when I was in DC and under the Obama administration charged with implementing the national HIV AIDS strategy, so at the federal level. And Dan was very focused on making sure um, that in his role there was, despite many competing priorities, that the HIV national strategy work was done, not only through the executive branch, through direct instructions of the president, but also um, through the capacity that Dan was currently working in. This was also critically important and transformational in saving thousands of lives as we ensured that people living with HIV were informed and took advantage of enrolling in the Affordable Care Act, which, as you all know, substantially improved health outcomes uh, for people living with HIV and people suffering from other health inequities. Most recently, I've worked um, with Dan um, as he is chair of the Health Commission. And again, I would state that he has just been phenomenal. You've heard, you know, um, the challenges that we've been through, uh, once in a century pandemic, uh, to making sure that Laguna Honda, which serves our most vulnerable communities, his support has been key in ensuring that we successfully received uh, Medicaid recertification, a very heavy lift, and again, Dan's support was resolute. Dan is uniquely qualified for this vice chancellor position. Quite frankly, the city needs someone. We need Dan in that position to ensure that the special relationship that UCSF has with the health department is sustained and strengthened. The success that we had during the COVID pandemic, the success that we've had in ensuring that Zuckerberg San Francisco General remains an outstanding level one trauma center is largely due to, is, is due to the partnership that we have with UCSF. And Dan's deep community relationships uh, with many community leaders, many of whom are in this room today, speaks to the fact that he has the, the triangle and, and the stool of, the three legs of the stool ensuring that he has deep knowledge around public health policy. He will have a secure position that will be driving change at UCSF. And then that third piece, which is the deep and meaningful community engagement that is going to be so important um, to improve health in, in our community. So I would just ask from the perspective as an individual that you deeply consider the fact that having Dan in this position of vice chancellor will improve the health and wellness of our community and all San Franciscans. Thank you.
Thank you. Uh, colleagues, let's open up for questions to Mr. Kenning and uh, Mr. Bernal. Any questions, comments? I have a couple questions. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> Apologies, bear with me. I had a minor concussion earlier this week. But um, for the staff, thank you for the memo. On page four, uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Did the staff in reviewing the application have any reason to doubt uh, Mr. Bernal's assertion of uh, financial burden on page four of his letter or as he described today? Specifically the claims of financial hardship? Correct. Um, staff did not do you know, independent research into Mr. Reynolds' finances um, and would, you know, take a statement as, as that. Um. And does the staff have a, a view on what would be viewed as comparable roles to the one that Mr. Bernal is seeking a waiver to accept? Uh, not that I could name offhand, Commissioner. Okay. Thank you. Those are my only two questions. Okay. Commissioner Fennell? No questions. Okay. I, um, I do have a question for um, Dr. Kofax regarding the process, uh, how the Health Commission approved uh, certain contracts. Um, I've, I've heard that the commissioners um, routinely approve contracts uh, as a consent calendar item. So can you walk through for me and for us the role, the actual role of the commissioner, specifically the commission president, in approving these, pro these contracts, specifically from UCSF? Yes, and um, we also have the commission secretary, um, Mark Morwitz here, who can also um, add to, to the point. So, the commission does approve contracts, our contracts. Um, this is something uh, that, as I understand, is not required by uh, the city charter, but it's something that the commission, that, that we appreciate the commission doing as another body of, of oversight and approval. So we have a finance committee where um, the contracts uh, go and are vetted and discussed um, to, 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 to um, answer any questions, and then usually, and um, the, the contracts then go uh, to the Health Commission and are approved by a, by a voice vote. And uh, in my almost, well, my four and a half years um, as health director, I don't recall um, that there's been any uh, controversy over a, a contract. So, um, and again, we can have uh, Mr. Morowitz double check those minutes, but typically these contracts are approved uh, with a unanimous, um, a unanimous voice vote, and typically they are part of, of, of the consent calendar. And again, this is not a requirement, so those, that whole process, as I understand it from uh, both the commission secretary and the city attorney, that could all be bypassed and contracts could, could go um, to the board, board of supervisors for approval. Again, I do not recall at this time any situation where um, that, that, has actually, that has actually happened. So for the most part, um, or actually the vast majority of time, uh, the contracts are, are routinely, routinely approved. Does that answer your question, Commissioner? So, so the commissioners 
and the commission itself would not be actively engaged in these type of negotiations uh, between the different parties, right? Between what? I'm sorry. Between the, the different parties, between UCSF and the city. So there's Oh, no you role, mean that, that, no that the, the, the I would commission uh, members? I so not in the process that we have. Oh no, that I mean, I would, I can't speak for each individual commissioner, but these contracts come as a, as as a package of things, and if there are any questions, they would ask the staff. As to my knowledge, there's, and I think it would be highly inappropriate for a commissioner to call a contractor. Yeah. Good to know. Thank you. May I ask a follow-up question, Dr. Colfax? Do you know if? Um, the failure to receive approval from the health commission on a contract precludes it from being awarded? I'm sorry, I couldn't quite hear the question. Sorry about that. Do you know if the, the failure to secure approval from the health commission in one of those advisory votes precludes the contract from being awarded down the line? It is my understanding it would not, but I also, again, don't recall a time where that has actually happened. Um, as you know, the commission, the history of the commission is long, so it may have happened at some point, but I do not recall at this time it ever happening during my tenure. Thank you. So basically, if, if I can get a clearer understanding, it's a courtesy to present the, the contract before the commission for them to approve. But all the, all the activities that have been done on the staff level between the UCSF, in this case, and the staff. So by the time it gets to the commission, it's a courtesy, whether you call it as administrative process or courtesy or advisory. Action. So I'm not a lawyer, I, don't, I can't, I can't I, it, it's a part of the process that is not required, so. That's good to know. Yes, okay. as I understand from the city charter, it's not a process that is required. Okay. That's good to know, yes. thank you. Thank you. Um, let's open up for public comment. Uh, given the interest uh, in this matter, let's do a three and three. Okay. Um, three minutes per person, three in person, and then we go to the queue, and then we go back and forth. Would that be fair? Yes, okay, okay. and just as a reminder to the folks making public comment, it's with the, uh, utmost respect for this agenda item we do ask and do want to reiterate you will have three minutes to speak you will hear a bell go off 30 seconds when you have 30 seconds remaining we ask you that you do not personally take any you know getting cut off telling your time is over with at all that's not the intent it's just how things are okay and the three minutes is a cap it's not the basement <laughs> <laughs> all right your three minutes begins now Thank you. Good morning, commissioners. My name is Terry O'Brien, and I'm the Associate Chancellor and Chief of Staff at the University of California, San Francisco. Thank you for the opportunity to talk today on behalf of UCSF in support of a request for waiver of post-employment restrictions for Dan Bernal. I'd like to make three points. First, as the commissioners know, UCSF is a public university focused exclusively on advancing health, and the role of the Vice Chancellor for Community and Government Relations is critical to making our public mission meaningful in San Francisco and the communities we serve. In addition to our biomedical research, graduate level education in life sciences and health professions and high quality patient care, our public mission includes a commitment to serve as an anchor institution in the city we have called home for more than a century. 
Throughout our history, we are honored to have worked closely with San Francisco through every major public health crisis, including the 1906 earthquake, the HIV epidemic, and COVID-19, and in every year in between. The Vice Chancellor for Community and Government Relations is a member of the senior leadership team at UCSF and a direct report to the Chancellor, serving as a member of the Chancellor's Cabinet. Second, the commissioners may appreciate that UCSF conducted a rigorous, objective national search to identify candidates for our next Vice Chancellor. In February, I was appointed by Chancellor Sam Hoggood to chair a search committee consisting of 11 members from across UCSF. We engaged Opus Partners, a well-established independent executive search firm that conducts senior level searches for nonprofit organizations. Over the ensuing months, we explored a talented and diverse pool of candidates. Opus screened more than 500 potential candidates nationwide and conducted initial interviews with more than 50 individuals. With 42 complete applications, our committee conducted a detailed review of materials from 24 and selected nine for interviews. Two finalists, including Dan, were selected for on-campus interviews where they met with the chancellor, other leaders, and stakeholders from across UCSF and representing all of our mission areas over the course of multiple days. Third, Dan Bernal emerged as the top candidate because of his exceptional commitment to public service, which aligns with UCSF's public mission. In more than 25 years working in government and nonprofit settings, his track record of building collaborative relationships with elected officials, government agencies, and community leaders in the San Francisco Bay Area and California will serve UCSF stakeholders and communities well. Further, he brings deep expertise in the areas of healthcare and education policy, including legislation at the local, state, and federal levels, and his familiarity with UCSF, including our mission areas, the many Bay Area communities we serve as a partner in health delivery, health equity, employment, and workforce development makes him uniquely suited to lead UCSF's community and government relations efforts. We're confident he will continue to make meaningful contributions as our next vice chancellor. And we request uh, respectfully that you consider his request for a waiver. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. O'Brien. Next speaker, please. President Lee, commissioners, my name is Aaron Peskin here in support of the waiver request pursuant uh, to section 3.234 sub A sub 3 of the Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code. Uh, and I want to also express on behalf of a number of my colleagues, uh, Supervisors Melgar, Chan, and Mandelman, who are not able to be here today, their support as well. You will hear directly from Supervisor Dorsey. Um, I would like to um, advance a theory specific to this particular waiver request. Uh, having to do with the historic uh, many, many decades relationship between the University of California, San Francisco and the city and county of San Francisco by and through our Department of Public Health. Uh, in essence, I would like to submit to you that these are two governmental agencies that are inextricably connected under the affiliation agreement. Um, they act in many ways as one entity. Um, this is very, very different than what I think this particular section of code uh, is written for, which is you don't want to have commissioners who vote on granting, say, engineering contracts to private entities, then go through the revolving door and work for those private entities. 
this case, I think, can and should be distinguished from that kind of relationship for which this code section is written. And for those reasons, and the reasons set forth in my letter, the reasons set forth in which uh, Mr. Bernal has uh, presented to you, I urge you to grant the waiver requested. Thank you very, very much for your consideration. Thank you, President. Um, next speaker, I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> I echo everything Yvonne said at the beginning. We are so thankful for Dan, the man, who chose to include Chinatown 22 years ago. And you know, we had API forums. Uh, one time, um, um, this shows how fair he is. He could have deleted me or blocked my phone number. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I kept nagging him because we had three Chinatown seniors willing to go to DC to meet with Nancy Pelosi, and, and I remember, even when I walked in to, to see her with the tenants, she was being interviewed for Larry King. And she said, Reverend, you cut my time short for that. But I mean, that's how fair he is and empowering. That's why there's so many people from so many communities here. Um, I guess I'm appealing more for the heart of San Francisco to grant this waiver, because you know it's all good. Can I get an amen? amen. For the one or two people who don't know him, he is uh, Reverend Norman Fong. Um, let us switch to the Q speakers, please. Okay. We will go with the first caller. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Yes, can I be heard? I'm Charles Collins. Excuse me, caller. You're... Can I be heard? Can I be heard? Yes, your three minutes begins now. Thank you. I'm in London, and so I apologize for any technical difficulties. I'm Charles Collins, and I'm speaking from three perspectives. One, for several years, I was the executive director and CEO of the Family Service Agency and had uh, deep work with the public health department around behavioral health. It was uh, an extremely ex uh, important period that was um, imminently and intimately tied to the health department because that was our granting resource. And so I began to understand the relationship of the funders um, that we used, and the health department was the primary funder for the family service agency. That gave me substantive knowledge about the interaction and the way that contracts move from the health department into an ecosystem. The second is for almost two decades, I was the president and CEO of the YMCA of San Francisco. And apart from the fact that the health department was instrumental in our ability to provide mental health services across our ecosystem, in particular in family resource centers and in schools where um, mental health is and continues to be a leading factor for the importance um, of delivering services. It was the health department and the leadership that individuals such as Dan Bernal showed that was instrumental in our ability, and in particular in the pandemic and in the post-pandemic period, the importance of mental health within um, the system of family resource centers and educating our youngest kids. Third, for the last nearly decade, I've been a member of the Center for Community Engagement at the University of California, San Francisco. 
and there we focus on health equity. And the role that the Vice Chancellor plays in that field is absolutely instrumental. And I had the, the um, um, pleasure of working with Francesca Vega, who vacated the position and opened it for the opportunity that an individual as great and as um, experienced as Dan Bernal could take the position. Um, so I am speaking on behalf of my relationship to community. And finally, I want to end by saying that during the pandemic, the um, protections uh, from the federal government to large nonprofit organizations only became possible because of the work of Dan Bernal and Nancy Pelosi. They opened up funding under the federal um, capacities that saved nonprofits and providing vital services to the communities during the pandemic. So I, I just want that to be on the record to understand that Daniel Bernal is a true public servant. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Collins. Next caller. All right, we will go to caller number two. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Good morning. My name is Joanne Hayes-White, and I'm calling to respectfully request that you support Dan Bernal's request for a waiver in order for him to accept the position of Vice Chancellor for Community and Government Relations at UCSF. I am a retired city employee, having worked for the San Francisco Fire Department for nearly 30 years. I served as chief of the department from 2004 until my retirement in 2019. For the past 18 months, I had the pleasure of working for Senator Dianne Feinstein as her Northern California director until her passing two weeks ago. Today, I'm speaking as a private, lifelong San Francisco resident. I've had the pleasure of knowing and working with Dan for the past 20 years and have the utmost respect for his dedication to public service for the residents of San Francisco and beyond. Dan has always conducted himself professionally and ethically and is an effective, inclusive leader. Dan possesses a unique skill set that makes him an ideal fit for the position at UCSF. I believe your granting of this waiver would be a win-win-win for our city, for UCSF, and for Dan at a critical juncture in time. I very much appreciate your time, commissioners, and your consideration. Thank you. Thank you, Great. Chief White. Madam Chair, we have no more callers in the queue. Okay, the next caller moment. in room, please. Hi, your three minutes begins when you speak. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, my name is Malcolm Young. I'm executive director of the Chinatown Community Development Center. Uh, good morning, uh, President Lee and commissioners. Uh, I'm here to um, urge the commission to approve the waiver. Um, you know, as I was listening to Dr. Colfax's testimony, um, you know, it really struck me that um, the reason why Dan Bernal is critical for this role uh, is his ability to meet the requirements of that three-legged uh, stool uh, that makes this position work. Uh, I'm going to speak to two of them. Um, I think certainly it's clear, and, and Reverend Fong testified to this, uh, uh, Dan Bernal's deep relationship to the Chinatown community uh, um, uh, and, and the role that he's played there 
uh, for decades, uh, bringing our issues to the national level. Uh, but I want to speak to a specific moment uh, during uh, the early period of the pandemic before we had gone into lockdown when uh, Chinatown was literally under attack from uh, a president uh, that I won't name. Uh, it was a dark time for the community. Uh, it was incredibly challenging for us to sustain the loss of business, but also uh, the impact on our emotions as a community. Uh, and Dan played a critical role in shepherding the speaker into the community uh, just to visit, just to hang up, hang out just to lift us up. And I have to say, that was a spark of hope in a very, very, very dark moment. And that goes to the second leg of the stool that I want to speak to. Uh, public health is not just about hardcore policy. It's about hope. And Dan gets that. And he showed that by doing that. So uh, to me, it's, it's critical that this waiver be approved. Um, I really can't imagine um, anybody else who has that kind of orientation uh, to bring to the job, but also the relationships to leverage it and make it work. Uh, as uh, uh, President Peskin mentioned, UCSF is a critical, critical uh, support provider uh, for public health in this city, uh, and it's critical that they engage in every community. Dan will do that better than virtually anyone I can think of, if anyone, and it would be a hardship to San Francisco's communities uh, if this waiver wasn't uh, approved. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good morning, my name is Miguel Bustos and I'm a 53-year-old native San Franciscan and realize that I've actually known Dan more than half my life. 27 years ago, we worked at the White House together when he had hair and I didn't have gray hair. And I was probably 100 pounds less. Um, but he was good people then, he is good people now. That's the type of people we want in public service. And thank God that Dan you know, he left the White House and came back and did public service. I did something else. He probably did the better thing. Well, maybe not. Um, but he stayed true to his mission by working in the public sector for the public good. And he wants to go back to do public good in this new role. We're talking about one public entity working with another public entity. It's not like he's going to go work for a corporation. He's working for the benefit of the people of San Francisco. And when we talk about hardships, we read what the staff has said about hardship. But I truly believe that the city of San Francisco, and I being from the Mission District, where General Hospital is located, our people will have a hardship. Because we need people like Dan who get it. As a San Franciscan, I've seen too many people come into our city, not really understand us, and then leave. And make decisions that end up hurting us. He gets it. This is the type of person we need. San Francisco and the people of this city would be in a hardship if we didn't have Dan Bernal in this role. So we beg and pray that you all do the right thing and provide a waiver. That's what this process is for. So we hope that you use it in the right way to help the city. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good morning, um, commissioners and um, esteemed chair Lee. It's good to see you. So like full disclosure, I also have worked with um, Commissioner Lee for many years. Um, and I am the chair of the finance and planning committee and would like to explain how the health commission deals with 
DPH contract? I know that that questions came up earlier, but maybe I can provide a little bit more insight to that. At the Health Commission, it is only the member of the Finance and Planning Committee that, de that discuss and ask questions regarding contracts that come before the Health Commission. Um, like what um, Director Koufax has said, you know, this is not a requirement, you know, but this is the kind of citizens' oversight we believe, believe in, and that's what we do in practice. We make sure that all the contracts are under scrutiny, like in, in um, and, and to make sure that, you know, like they, they are appropriate um, to move forward. After, after we review, comment, and ask questions about contracts in the Finance and Planning Committee um, meeting, the members vote to recommend to the full commission, um, usually we'll just say that we'll add it to the consent calendar for approval. And, um, and, and then in practice, that's what the full commission do, is they just give an up or down vote to the consent calendar without any further discussions or um, influence any decision-making process. And by the way, Denver now is not part of the Finance and um, Planning Committee and has never been, and so he has not been involved with any of the discussions or, or assert any influences to um, these contract approval process. I have been on the commission, Health Commission since 2012, and, and I was first appointed to the Human Rights Commissions in 2004. Your body, the Ethics Commission, is really important for us, and we really respect all the work that you do. And because of that, we really urge you to, um, uh, to give the waiver um, to Mr. Bernal because we are here to serve the public, and I cannot think of a better public servant who does a great job like Mr. Bernal does. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Chang. Uh, next speaker, please. Have we done three? Yeah, we oh, got. Okay. We have a couple of callers in the queue. We've okay. done three in person. You can just stand by while we go to remote. Real Let's quickly. go to the caller. Okay, in the we queue. will go with the first caller. Please stand by. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins Good now. Good morning. My name's Lori Green, and I'm a physician in the community, the vice chair of the Health Commission, and I've been a member since 2018. It's been a privilege to work with Dan Bernal. I can't amplify on the passionate statements others have made about his conscientiousness, his dedication, his integrity. And I believe a waiver denial would indeed present an extreme professional hardship while not furthering the letter of the ethics code, nor conflicting with prior waiver grants. I can also confirm the testimony of Commissioner Chung and Dr. Colfax that we as commissioners basically rubber stamp contracts on the consent calendar. Neither Dan nor UCSF benefited from his service on the Health Commission, and no one would reasonably suspect that UCSF would conduct a rigorous national search for this important high-level position and then offer it to Dan out of gratitude rather than as the best candidate. And when you think about it, if well-intentioned public service leads to punishment, it would send a chilling message to anyone interested in serving the public good now or in the future. I'm not a, a lawyer or, or 
completely familiar with, with policy, but, but I feel that granting the waiver would not impede the purpose of the ethics code. The UC job doesn't pose an, an appearance of favoritism or misuse of a government position to gain outside employment, nor does it pose the risk of misuse of confidential government information to the new employer's advantage. But as a member of this medical community for more than four decades, I want to speak to the hardship not only for Dan, but all the citizens of San Francisco if you don't grant the waiver. In Dan's case, this isn't just about earning a paycheck. It's not just a job. As he has articulated, the UC position is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's the capstone of a decades-long career in public service that would enable Dan to use his formidable political skills, medical knowledge, and lived experience to advance UCSF's noble equity and research mission. And I can corroborate that as someone lacking an advanced degree, another opportunity such as this with Dan for Dan would never come along. In my view, Dan assuming the vice chancellorship is also a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for our healthcare community. As the testimony attests, no one in this country was identified who could bring Dan's expertise and skill to the job. So please allow him this unique opportunity to advance his professional career and the health of all San Franciscans. Thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you, Dr. Green. Next All right, caller. we'll go with the second caller in the queue. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Caller, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Your three minutes begins when you speak. Uh, hello. Uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you. I'm sorry I can't be there in person. My name is Cleve Jones. And I have uh, enormous respect for this body and for all of the commissioners and <clears throat> really hope that you'll do the right thing today and grant uh, this waiver to Mr. Bernal. Um, I am one of the co-founders of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. I'm also the originator of the AIDS Memorial Quilt. And you've heard so many things that I'm not going to repeat about Dan's qualifications and integrity. But one thing you may not know is that we were able to bring the AIDS Memorial Quilt back to San Francisco, the place of its birth, primarily due to Dan Bernal's vision and connections and intelligence and compassion and his deep belief in the unique role that this city has played in fighting the HIV AIDS pandemic. I'm personally extraordinarily grateful to him. I also want to say that when Dan speaks about the consequences of his decision not to pursue a higher uh, degree. I can very much relate to that. Um, I had the great uh, pleasure of celebrating my 69th birthday a couple of days ago, but there was a time when I did not think that I would live to see my 30th birthday. Uh, so as, uh, like Dan, I am also a long-term survivor. I am also a patient at UCSF Medical Center, and so grateful to the care that they provided, the research that they have led. Uh, I don't feel that anything more needs to be said about his integrity, but I'm going to have to say it again. This is a good man, a man of enormous integrity. Your granting of this waiver will be good for the city. It will be good for UCSF. It will be good for people who are living with HIV AIDS. It will be good for all the communities who are seeking health justice. Please grant this waiver. Thank you very much for your attention. 
Thank you, Mr. Johnson. Next. There was no further callers in the okay, queue at the moment. Let's go back to the speakers in the room, please. Kim Cavalloni, San Francisco Labor Council. Um, I submitted a letter a few days ago to the commission, and I think it's in your packet, but um, I want to add to it because I think everybody, no one here is going to say Dan is a bad guy or anything like this, but I will say this. Um, I've known Dan for probably over 20 years or so, and I got to say, initially, I didn't like him. I, I'm going to be honest, because you know what? No, this is really key, and I think this is what, you're, what you should be based on. Dan isn't necessarily the guy who is going to tell you what you want to hear. And having represented, now representing labor unions at UC and at SF General and, and DPH side, Dan is not always going to tell you what you want to hear. And I think that's a good thing. I think him being, he knows what his parameters are. And I don't remember any like major thing, like I wanted to pick at his house or anything like that. But there were times where I just wanted to shake him, you know, and tell him like, no, this is wrong. This is about working families in San Francisco. And he won't tell me what I, what I really wanted to hear. And knowing that he has that litmus test within him to actually come around and say like, this is not within my jurisdiction or whatever, go talk to so-and-so or whatever. But I think all the things that he's saying, yes, he's a great person and everything, but having been on the receiving end of not so great information sometimes, I will say um, I've learned to work with him and respect him, but it wasn't always that way. And he knows his parameters. He understands he has great integrity and he's not gonna necessarily just go with the flow, et cetera, et cetera. He is a very um, intellectual person with great integrity. So I will say like, please take that under consideration. Um, he has told me no in the past, but um, we've been able to talk it through and come to a great conclusion most times. Thank you. Good morning, commissioners. Thank you for the work that you do. It's critical to the city of San Francisco and to the citizens that you do the work that you do. My name is John Cunningham, and I'm honored to serve as the chief executive officer of the National AIDS Memorial here in San Francisco. I speak today in support of a waiver request uh, made by Dan Bernal to enable him to accept the position of Vice Chancellor of Community and Government Relations for the University of California, San Francisco. Dan, thank you for your inspiring remarks. The journey that you've had to this day, and I feel that where we are as a city and the needs that are before us, Dan can continue to meet those needs. I've known and worked with Dan for well over a decade and I know him to be an incredibly dedicated, honest, and trustworthy public servant, always acting in the highest levels of ethical standards. Dan served on the board of directors of the National AIDS Memorial, and it has been my experience over the years that Dan always places the needs of community at the forefront of his work. His commitment to improving the fabric of our city and the community rests at the core of who he is. 
Over his more than two decades of public service, there's never been a hint of impropriety leveled against Dan. The importance of this body is critical to the creation of trust among the citizenry and to ensure that there is no perceived conflict. It is clear that Dan's passion and commitment to the health of San Franciscan brings him to this opportunity, and this work should not inhibit his ability to serve the University of San Francisco and the broader community. As an out gay man and a long-term survivor of HIV AIDS, Dan brings a lived experience which cannot be overstated. As a long-term survivor myself and leading an organization tasked with ensuring the story of pu this public health crisis will inform future generations, having an individual of Dan's intellect, integrity, and lived experience is critical to the integrity of the university. The present moment for UCSF demands an individual to lead this area who is trusted, skilled, and has a proven track record of building strong constituencies and connections with both the public and institutions that they serve. Dan is such a person, and the university, and most importantly, the citizens of San Francisco, would be, on, would be well served for him to be in this role. Opportunities such as this for both the university and Dan do not come about frequently. I encourage this body to approve the waiver, for not to do so, I believe, would set a poor precedent for the future. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cunningham. Next speaker, please. Thanks so much. My name is Matt Dorsey. I'm a member of the Board of Supervisors representing District 6. Um, but I'm not really here as much in a supervisorial capacity as I am as a friend and colleague of Dan Bernal's. I have known Dan uh, for more than 30 years and have witnessed firsthand his deep and long-lasting commitment to public service and to the people of the city and county of San Francisco. In fact, I think I might beat everybody because uh, we had parallel tracks in our home state of Massachusetts working for uh, then Governor Michael Dukakis. Um, granting Dan Bernal the waiver he seeks to work at UCSF would enable our city um, to benefit from the next chapter of what has been a remarkable public service career for Ban Dan Bernal and to further a relationship between UCSF and San Francisco that has existed for 159 years. As many uh, people have spoken about, UCSF is no garden variety city contractor. In many ways, it is the most important public health partnership in our city. Our two government entities share important missions which have been vital in the past, um, going back to the 1906 earthquake, Spanish influenza, COVID, the AIDS crisis, and now a fentanyl crisis that um, is in many ways, um, is the second only to the AIDS crisis in the loss of life that we're seeing. Dan's advocacy for the LGBTQ plus and HIV AIDS communities sets him apart from so many other city and public health leaders I'm aware of, and I would be remiss as an HIV positive elected leader myself, uh, not to mention the importance to our community uh, to have someone of Dan's caliber who is an HIV positive leader and a long-term survivor um, that in a position that will well serve our city. As a long-term HIV survivor, Dan's personal connection to UCSF's work in HIV AIDS and advancing healthcare for all, our pe all people makes this job a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for San Francisco as we grapple with continuing public health challenges. Um, I urge you to approve this waiver to allow Dan to accept this position at UCSF, which would well serve the public interest. It would also help to encourage more people to engage in government. And here I would just mention that I am chair of the Rules Committee, and you know we are tasked with 
trying to make sure that we have qualified applicants who to serve in the boards, task forces, and commissions that serve our city. And I would invite you to consider the chilling effect it might have if somebody has to make, um, you know, the, the, not have the ability to move forward in their careers because of their service to our city. So I urge you to grant this waiver. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. Um, let's go back to our queue. Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue at the moment. Okay, let's continue with our uh, speakers in the room. Uh, Madam Chair and honorable members of the Ethics Commission, my name is Rudy Gonzalez and I am the Secretary Treasurer of the San Francisco Building and Construction Trades Council, another anchor institution, I'll remind my friends at UCSF, we're in our 127th year of helping people out of jail, out of foster youth, out of all aspects of life, get their first, second, third, fifth chance at times at life and a good career. I myself do not have an advanced degree and I'll spare you my life story for another time but it's important because I represent people like Mark Gleason from the International Brotherhood of Teamsters who's here and RJ Ferrari and John Corso from the United Association of Journeymen and Apprentices of the Plumbers, Pipefitters and HVAC, our technicians and Greg Hardeman from the Elevator Constructors and so many more in organized labor who commit our lives to helping people who do not have advanced degrees. I love and adore Dan and he's fit as a fiddle these days, but at his age and in his condition, he won't survive on our construction sites. He will face an undue hardship that many of us are privileged to not experience. He didn't talk to you about his divorce. He didn't talk to you about what it's like to be a sole source of income in his home. He didn't talk to you about the shame and stigma that comes when you don't have an advanced degree and you are surrounded by giants in the community and giants in your public life. I can't tell you how hard it is to get native San Franciscans, even like me, to go out and put yourself out there and be part of the public service. And I think Board President Peskin really characterized this really well. We've been watching the contract management division in the building trades. We've been watching disgraced public leader after disgraced public leader erode the public trust in this fine city. And it's shameful and it's hurtful to the mission that we all care about of delivering good public services to our citizens and to people who want to find hope in San Francisco. This is not that case. This is not the case of somebody exploiting public service access to go get a lucrative job, no offense to present company, but as a consultant or a lobbyist or a lawyer. This is somebody who's given their life, their entire life at a GS salary, a federal GS salary, which is barely enough to scrape by in this city and has a once in a lifetime opportunity to seek economic security in the city and to continue that lifetime of devoted public service. As an anecdote, I was looking at Dan's name. I have a Latino and Jewish family at our home and we're a blended household. And I was thinking about Bernal and a lot of people say Bernal or Bernal. And it means something for us as the first Latino to hold my role in the building trades. And it took him 125 years to get there that Dan's name is derived, his surname, both in Latino origin, thank you, but also in Jewish origin, but in German, it means strength of a bear. Dan has the strength of a bear and the integrity that our city so desperately needs to restore faith in public service. Please grant the waiver. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good morning, President Lee Commissioners. Obviously, I chose the wrong speaker and uh, Brother Rudy Gonzalez to come after, but I have prepared a statement in support of this waiver. 
My name is Sean Buford, a native San Franciscan, current resident, and 34-year employee. I've had the pleasure of serving our city in numerous capacities such as educator, first responder, labor leader, and now racial equity leader. It's important enough for me that I took today off so I can respectfully request that you grant Dan Rennell a waiver so he can accept this position. Dan has dedicated his life to public service and to the people of San Francisco. Granting Dan a waiver so he can work at UCSF would be the culmination of a career work and dedication to service. I had the pleasure to work with Dan in various different capacities, both professionally and personally, and I found him to be a man that is highly ethical, and he also serves the community well by communicating to us, answering our questions, not always telling us what we wanted to uh, hear, but guiding us in the right direction so that we could do our job well. I met Dan in 2005 as an elected board member of Local 798. I've known uh, that Dan is the perfect person for this position because he has always worked to uh, help underrepresented communities. He has given us access to information by providing workshops on how to apply for grants, by posting information that allowed us to know different changes in policies that may affect us and our health. As a long-term survivor of HIV, Dan, personal connections used as work um, in HIV AIDS and advocating for health care for all communities is a perfect job for him. Although I was never able to do the AIDS life cycle with him, I did with a few colleagues go on shorter rides to help encourage him, build up his stamina and do fundraising because this has been a passion of his, which became a passion of ours because we knew what a good person Dan is. My wife, Julia Mathis Buford, who worked for 15 years at UCSF supporting 25 doctors in their portfolio for the Division of HIV, Infectious Disease, and Global Medicine, including Dr. Havlar, also sends her support for this waiver for Dan. And in closing, I just asking that you approve this waiver so you can accept this critical position. And I know that he will serve all San Franciscans and UCSF well. Please consider this request. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good morning, commissioners, and please bear with me as I read my comments. It's a lot easier for me at this point in my life. Um, as the executive director of the AIDS Legal Referral Panel for 24 years and the co-chair of the HIV AIDS Provider Network, I am pleased to be here this morning to speak in favor of this commission using its discretion, which the rules permit you to do. Um, rules are great. Exceptions are often necessary, and you folks have that discretion. In my many years of service to the San Francisco community, this is only the second time I have been called upon to provide support for a waiver request for an esteemed colleague who has led a life of public service. I recognize that the staff recommendations recommendation was not in support of the waiver request, and I completely disagree with that position. 
The rules were made to allow for discretion and in granting of a waiver in this instance, circumstances warrant it. It would be unfortunate result to keep a public servant like Dan Bernal from stepping into this critical role of serving the community. You have the discretion to find that there would be an undue hardship for the person requesting the waiver, and you have the discretion to view that hardship broadly. I've had the opportunity to work with Dan in his capacity of Chief of Staff of House Speaker Emerita Pelosi. First, there is no elected leader who has done more to fight for the HIV-AIDS community. House Speaker Emeritus Pelosi made that clear from the first day of her service in Congress. It speaks volumes that in her work at the national level, she brought on a person living with HIV to lead her team. This was at a time when people living with HIV grace faced much greater threats to their health than they do with current treatment reg regimens. Yet Dan took on an incredibly stressful and necessary position because he cared deeply about his community. No one goes into public service to get wealthy. And certainly Dan could have made much more in the private sector, but instead he devoted a significant amount of his personal and professional life to fighting one of the defining epidemics in San Francisco's history. It may not seem like a terrible hardship for someone to make a decent living as a public servant, but it is very important to look at context here and use your discretion when you know it is the right thing to do. Dan is facing some level of financial challenge Challenge. Most people recognize that it is more expensive to support. Your three minutes has expired. Thank you. Your, yes. Thank you. Thank you, and you can um, give us your written submission. And can you please indicate for the record your name, please? Oh, I'm so sorry, I did not do that. Mm -hmm. Bill Hirsch with the Legal Resource Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good morning. Uh, my name is Olga Miranda. I'm with SEIU Local 87. I represent about 5,000 janitors in the private sector. I'm also the Secretary Treasurer of the San Francisco Labor Council. And this morning I'm here to speak in support of my brother Dan Bernal um, and in support of him being able to ask for this waiver from this body. Um, I want to be able to tell you um, how hard it is, and you as commissioners have seen this every time that you guys have been in this, in this setting, how hard it is to get San Francisco to come out, show up, and speak on just one person in the city. He's not even an elected. However, he should have been because do you know how hard it is to get labor, Aaron Peskin, and all community, including clergy, clergy, to come out and say an amen <laughs> for Denver now. <laughs> so this is a, a, an incredible culmination of tell me who you surround yourself with and I'll tell you who you are. This is San Francisco. And they're telling this commission, this body, um, that they're, I'm speaking in support of this waiver for you. And I want to be able to share an anecdote. In 2010, 2011, our local faced some of the biggest raids 
Our janitors lost um, their jobs overnight after working for 18, 22 years as janitors because of the desktop raids. One of the people that came out in the front lines with us to tell our members it wasn't over yet, um, that their families would not be separated, was the man standing, sitting right behind me, Dan Bernal. I, I have to tell you that besides being able to reflect what San Francisco looks like and how it stands, is a great measure of people willing to show up for you the same way you showed up for them. And no matter what nationality, what community we belong to, that is instilled in us as children. And this position that he is looking to go into should not be punishment to not give him the waiver. In fact, every one of us has been in a position where that person deserved this position, but if it's gonna, the bracket of poverty is a very, thin line in San Francisco, and I say that representing janitors. So for somebody who has done and served his entire career as a public servant should not be punished and not be granted this waiver. I appreciate your time, and on behalf of the members that I represent and all of the incredible speakers before us, thank you, and we hope that you consider granting this waiver. Thank you. Uh, next speaker, please. Uh, good morning, Madam Chair and members of the San Francisco Ethics Commission. My name is Jackson Nutbeers, and I am with the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce. Um, on behalf of the San Francisco, San Francisco Chamber of Commerce, I urge you to approve without delay the waiver request submitted by Dan Bernal, who is seeking approval to accept a position of Vice Chancellor for Community and Government Relations at the University of California, San Francisco. Dan has dedicated his life to public service and the people of San Francisco. As a long-term survivor of HIV, Dan's personal connections to UCSF's work in HIV AIDS and advancing health care for all people makes this job a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him to continue his career in government service. His experience as Chief of Staff for Speaker Emerita Pelosi has been marked by his dedication to advance the interests and well-being of San Francisco's residents. UCSF is currently engaging in numerous projects of critical importance to San Francisco residents, including the Anchor Institution Initiative. Dan's experience, professionalism, and ethical nature will be an invaluable asset to both UCSF and the broader community. In light of these considerations, we respectfully request that the San Francisco Ethics Commission grant Dan Bernal the waiver to accept the Vice Chancellor position at UCSF. Thank you for your time and your, your consideration. Thank you. Um, next speaker, please. Okay. Hello, Commissioner Chair Lee and Commissioners. My name is Jade Kizan, and I'm here on behalf of Callie Wong, the Executive Director of API Council, to speak in support of the employment waiver request from Mr. Dan Bernal. Callie has had, and I hope to one day have, the privilege of working with Dan over the last eight years. Um, they are collaborative partners in our organization's work and she can personally attest to his unwavering commitment to the San Francisco community. Over the years, Dan has worked closely with API Council in bringing Speaker um, Amareta Pelosi to speak with our 56-member organization annually on complex issues arising within our city, as well as providing updates on, our, on her continued partnership and work with the Asian and Pacific Islander community. This year, Dan worked with us 
to bring the speaker to the Samoan Community Development Center to support our membership while also working with us to highlight the issues and gaps within the Pacific Islander community specifically. Um, more recently, he has had the opportunity to work uh, more recently, we've had the opportunity to work with Dan in holding community events to honor the speaker, speaker's contributions to the API community. In the past month, Dan worked with us to invite the speaker to the Chinatown Media and Arts Collaborative to discuss the arts and welcome its new executive director, Joanne Lee. Dan has continuously dedicated his time and energy to raise awareness about the challenges faced by our community, especially during the height of the API hate in recent years. He has shown understanding not only by addressing isolated incidents, but has been instrumental in building bridges, fostering dialogue within the community, and working to ensure that all API community members can live safely and with dignity. Dan has actively worked with us to address and lend resources while API businesses in our city's ethnic corridors, like Japantown and Chinatown, um, as they were struggling, as well as when our community needed assistance for our senior population. Dan's work on these issues and his unwavering support in bringing the speaker to our communities to directly speak to us during this period shows his priority and commitment to us. His integrity to stand up for what's right shows his dedication to bringing people and communities together. Dan has actively engaged with leaders, community partners, and organizations to develop and implement safety measures and provide solutions during our community's darkest times. We strongly believe that Dan is the ideal fit for the vacant position, and we strongly urge you to request this, to approve this request for his waiver. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, good morning. Um, my name is Emma Hyken, and I am a legislative aide for Supervisor Myrna Melgar, who is not able to join us this morning. And I think I might be Dan's newest friend because I've only known him for six years. Um, but it's been a great six years. <laughs> um, uh, Dan Bernal is a public servant through and through. It runs in his veins and, you know, for better or worse, he can't help it. Um, and so I know that withholding this opportunity from Dan would cause him hardship. It would also cause hardship for our city, and I want us to consider that as well. We're having trouble hiring folks in our city. We're having trouble finding good folks. We have infinite, it feels, unfilled positions. And we have someone ready to take on a challenging role in our city, and we should encourage that. Um, Supervisor Melgar oversees District 7, which is home to the UCSF Parnassus campus and Laguna Honda Hospital. And Dan has been instrumental in um, helping the process of recertification of the Laguna Honda Hospital, and we would love to have him be part of the process of UCSF expanding in our city, of furthering research on all the issues he's worked on already, on HIV, on the coronavirus, on the fentanyl crisis, and we want to encourage that. We want to have him in our city doing this work. So I think um, as commissioners, as public servants ourselves, uh, we need to think not just about the, the exact rules written, but also um, the greater good and the, the best thing for our city, and I, I know that Myself and Supervisor Melgar and many folks in this room know that Dan Bernal is the best thing for this role at UCSF, and we encourage you to grant the waiver request. Thank you. Next, call, next speaker, please. Good morning. Thanks so much for having us here today. 
Uh, my name is Dr. Tyler Tremier, and I'm here today to show my support of Dan Bernal and urge the approval of this waiver that would create a pathway to accept this opportunity with UCSF. You know, I'm here today in my professional capacity as the CEO of San Francisco AIDS Foundation, the first person of color to hold this role in the organization's 40-year history, but also as a queer person, as a person who's been living with HIV for the last 20 years of my own life, as a community leader, and as you may remember from the last few ethics hearings, um, a storyteller. Um, you see, the story that I hope to leave you with in my brief few moments today is a story about the importance of community and how representation truly matters. Now, you've already heard many amazing things this morning about Dan and the impact he has had in his professional <laughs> career, but what I'm here to highlight is how Dan always shows up for the community. Whether it's through his example as a person living openly with HIV for decades, <clears throat> supporting San Francisco's Getting to Zero initiative to reduce HIV deaths, <clears throat> infections, and stigma, or waiting in line in the cold early morning hours with hundreds of people anxiously waiting to receive MPOX vaccines. Allowing Dan to accept the UCSF vice chancellor position would greatly increase the representation and visibility of Latinx and queer people, really of both queer and people of color, and in particular people living with HIV in senior leadership roles in state government. It would be a shame if Dan's volunteer service and hard work on the Health Commission when San Francisco faced unprecedented health crises would prevent him from fulfilling his lifelong commitment to public service and his aspiration to give back to UCSF and community. As you've heard countless times this morning, granting Dan a waiver so he can work with UCSF would be the culmination of a career dedicated to service and would continue to add critical visibility of queer and HIV-positive representation in government. I would hope that the technical guidelines that make this waiver request necessary would not supersede the reality that denying Dan this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity would not only create a personal hardship, as he has eloquently made the case for today, but would create community hardship. And an echo of my colleagues in saying that would send a chilling message to those who in the future might want to serve their community. You see, as a young queer boy growing up in today's world, I wanted, no, I needed to see representation in positions of leadership, and they were few and far between. That reality remains true today, and it would be such a meaningful impact for those lives if you grant this waiver today. I'm, handing, I'm standing here and speaking proudly from each of my identities and urging you to approve the request for this waiver. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. President Lee, good commissioners, good morning. It's still morning. My name is Michael Pappas, and for the last 15 years, I've been privileged to uh, be the executive director of the San Francisco Interfaith Council. I was also appointed by Mayor Lee for a six-and-a-half-year term uh, on the Human Rights Commission and served at what was then the Department of Aging and Adult Services Commission. And I congratulate your work, and I empathize with your work. Um, I come before you today to join my voice to those you have heard and those whom you will hear in the community. Um, Dan Burnell is a, per a professional colleague, a personal friend, and one who has entrusted me with his spiritual counseling. Over the past 15 years, I've come to know him as a leader whose conduct exhibits the highest level of ethics and integrity and whose commitment to public service is unwavering. 
In our work together, he has effectively and unassumingly assisted in numerous efforts to advance social justice and interfaith harmony in our city on issues near and dear to his heart, HIV prevention, immigration, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, vandalism in houses of worship, LGBTQ plus rights, just to name a few, he has quietly and unassumedly and with humility guided, collaborated, and leveraged trusted relationships in order to move the needle to make our city a better and more just place. When the history books are written, as president he will be of the San Francisco Health Commission, he will be remembered for his keen discernment and deftly navigating the city's public health commission through the uncharted waters of the COVID-19 pandemic. If there's one distinct perspective that I hope to humbly lend in helping you to render your decision here today, it's something that led Dan to his two, pl two plus decades of work with Speaker Emerita Pelosi and desire to serve on and lead the San Francisco Public Health Commission. And that something is a calling, a calling that comes from a lifetime of experiences, relationship building, which manifests in that innate voice that pulls at your heart and moves you to sacrifice for the greater good. Good commissioners, Dan Burnell is being called to be a good steward of a lifetime of experiences, relationship building, and true wisdom to serve in a position where his gifts and talents are uniquely tailored and best suited to make a contribution to the betterment of our city. To deny him this calling, I believe, would be to deprive our city of a seasoned leader at a critical time when leadership is most needed. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Before we begin, we have a joint statement or we can go individually. If we do it jointly, we can do it in about four and a half minutes. If we do it, if we do it separately, it'll be about six minutes. What would you prefer? Let's have all of you beautiful people stand before us and do it jointly. Okay, so that means we'll do it in about five minutes, less than five. Okay, so thank you and good morning. My name is Adam Berman. I've lived in San Francisco for more than 30 years. I've spent my entire career in the education field, initially as the founder of Education Partners, which brought reading and math programs for the most disadvantaged students across the United States, and more recently as a senior assistant dean at UC Berkeley. My name is Alejandro Scotta, and this is not a story about community and what Dan does for the community, but it's a very personal story. I am from Argentina. I spent 22 years as an undocumented immigrant. We came to know Dan about 10 years ago um, when our child, Emilio, was born in India and ran into incredible legal challenges, we contacted Leader Pelosi's office and were put in touch with Dan. Dan showed us tremendous empathy, tremendous care, incredible persistence to get to the end result. So our child was born in India. We Excuse me. And when our passport application was denied for our child by the Department of State, 
our child became stateless. While in India, we had to go into hiding to make sure that our child did not end up in an orphanage and that I did not end up in jail because I was gay. We mounted the fight of our lives to bring Emilio home to the United States. What to say about Dan's involvement? Um, he was a critical part of our fight. He went above and beyond the call to help us get home lawfully and safely. We remember speaking with Dan at all hours of the day, whether Adam was in India or I was here because of being undocumented. Uh, eventually, through the wonderful work that Dan helped us create, uh, we were able to obtain humanitarian parole issued by the Homeland Security Department of the United States. And it was, again, thanks to Dan's incredible, tenacious persistence that we got home, and today we can call ourselves a family. So, the waiver request. Based on hardship, both personally and professionally, we urge you to grant Dan this waiver. Based on my experience at UC Berkeley, public service opportunities like this are extremely rare. Not just the compensation level for this job, but the job itself, a vice chancellor position. There are very few vice chancellor positions. <clears throat> and certainly when you consider the passion that Dan brings to this, his lifetime service of pu public service, his life experience, his expertise in healthcare at this extraordinary in institution, he's not gonna find another opportunity like this. We would hope that the guidelines that make this re waiver request necessary would not supersede the big picture here. Neither Dan nor UCSF benefited from his service on the Health Commission. And actually, in the majority of the contracts at, I at issue, UCSF was the only vendor that could have actually delivered the services. They were the, they were the sole source provider. And then in some of the remaining contracts, they were amendments to existing contracts where UCSF was also the only option. It would be extremely sad and unfair if good intentions in the furtherance of public service were punished. And it would send a devastating message to those in our future who might want to serve their community. Granting the waiver would not compromise your responsibilities on the commission. In fact, it would do just the opposite, I think, we think, by promoting fair, transparent, accountable, governmental decision-making for the benefit of all San Franciscans. Dan should not be deprived of this professional and financial opportunity, nor should UCSF be deprived of the opportunity to hire such a world-class professional to advance UCSF's mission reputation locally, nationally, and globally. Thank you for your time and consideration on this matter. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Please stand by. Good morning, I'm Bevan Dufty, and I just want to reflect for a moment on the fact that I've had a 47-year public service career, both working on Capitol Hill and working many years in City Hall. I've never seen a turnout like this. I've never seen such a diverse group of people be so passionate and committed. Dan's testimony, uh, his, his remarks were very emotional for me. And I've always viewed that I've known Dan for 25 plus years, that 
we were just a generation apart, me on the older side of it. Um, what I drew comfort from was thinking that what would it have been like if 19-year-old Dan could have heard what we've heard this morning? Would he have believed that his life would have gone in the, in the direction that it did and enable him to touch so many people? Uh, I just want to say that the notion of someone in public service having a lucrative career, even working for Congress, is just not true. Members of Congress make $174,000 a year. Some of them are quite overpaid. But <laughs> that trickles down, and the reality is working for a member of Congress is not what you might think it would be. I can tell you, being a supervisor, I had a rough time for my former boss, Willie Brown. When I got elected to the Board of Supervisors, the salary was 39000 Then the Civil Service Commission voted it to 119000 And then Mayor Brown didn't like a lot of people on the Board of Supervisors, so it got knocked down to 83000 I say that to say that during the twists and turns of being a dad in San Francisco, I had to sell my house. Uh, I'm a renter, and I'm proud of that, of being a renter. But I just say to you that, again, what Dan is expressing about the hardship and why this job that Dan is perfect for and UCSF is perfect for Dan is something that is meaningful. It's, it's really, it is no question to me that had I had the opportunity to take a job like this years ago, it, not only would I have done it, but would have cemented my ability to stay here and be in this very, very expensive city. Sean talked about uh, Dan with the AIDS life cycle, and I just want to say Dan was a top fundraiser because he doesn't ask for much. So when he told us that he was going to ride 545 miles on a bicycle from San Francisco to Los Angeles multiple times, we wanted to come <coughs> forward and, and support it. Um, I also want to say that you could fill Keysar Stadium with the interns that Dan has had through his career. There are legions of young public service-oriented people who, because of Dan, believe in public service. Thank you. Thank you. You'll always be a supervisor adaptive to me. <laughs> Next speaker, please. Good morning. My name is Greg Kasten. And um, I want to just acknowledge what a moment like this is. Like, this is a room filled with love for a guy. And I just want to also. I'm a dad, and I want to point out, what is this like for your dad to witness this moment in your life? It's what every, it's what every parent lives for. I want to also start with a quote from my hero, which now might be displaced by Dan Bernal after being here this morning, um, the US Surgeon General. The US Surgeon General Vivek Murthy is now the top doctor in the United States, and his message is about belonging, togetherness, how much we need one another. One of his quotes is, there is no powerful, more powerful medicine than the power of love. He said, I could never prescribe that myself, but that is so, what is so wonderful about it, that love does not need an MD or an advanced degree. He said, please, people, never underestimate your power to reach out and to change another's life with love. It's, and this is what this guy, this guy walks with. So I'll start with my words. What a humble honor to be here today, Dan. How wonderful that your dad is alive to witness this tidal wave of love and respect. 
This is greater than being alive for one's own memorial. You're welcome. <laughs> I will start with, a, okay, I went to the quote here. Dan is an ambassador of love. He walks with such humanity and grace. My name is Greg Cass, and I've lived in the Bay Area since 1980, diagnosed in 1985 with HIV. I created a program just for people living with long-term survivors living with HIV and AIDS called Honoring Our Experience. I honor that San Francisco and its medical and educational institutions like UCSF have been a shining light that changed the course, literally saved Dan's life, my life, and every person living with HIV and AIDS with its compassion and its integrity, and yes, its love. Dan is a true son of San Francisco. He understands that our community and others living with HIV and AIDS were the diseased pariahs, the forgotten ones that were ignored, the voiceless ones so much so that the President of the United States could not even say the word AIDS. We were despised, and it was only the integrity, compassion, and ethics of an institution like UCSF that shined its light on us. It's light of compassion and hope and possibility. We are alive because of this work. I come from a tradition where you honor those with lived experience and you understand that there is a wisdom. Your three minutes has expired. Your three minutes has expired. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good morning, uh, commissioners. My name is Richard Ivarra. I'm the CEO of MNC Inspiring Success here in the Mission. I'm honored to be here today to ask for this waiver. And I know that your work is very important. I, somebody mentioned him a little while ago. I studied under Michael Dukakis at the JFK School of Government, and I've taught public service ethics. So I take it very seriously, as your decisions are all serious and important, just like this one, and the outcomes of your decision making. Dan is a unique individual, as you've been told by everyone who's spoken. He's got a lot of qualities, including that he's accessible to people. And in, because of his Latino heritage, he's very accessible to us as well. He's been a godsend in a lot of issues we've had over the years. So we're happy to have that. I know that when he served on the, uh, on the Health Commission, he didn't go there as a career move. That was a community service move. He also he has worked with the greatest speaker our country will ever know, the greatest congressional representative the city will ever have. He learned a lot there, and we need to continue that value being put forward at UCSF, which is a great organization that needs him to become even greater, uh, and with him, they will be co continue to be greater. I just want to say that Dan is somebody who uh, has all the qualities, has all the characters, and he has the courage of his conviction in so many aspects of his life. So with that, I thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good morning, Madam Chair, Commissioners, staff. My name is Sam Ruiz. Uh, I am a retired former CEO of a mission community-based uh, multi-service nonprofit organization. And I'm proud to be here in front of you uh, this morning to request that, uh, respectfully request that you honor a request on behalf of Dan Bernal to issue the waiver that he seeks from your commission. Um, I have had the pleasure and honor of uh, knowing Dan Bernal for close to 20 years. Uh, 
and in a couple of capacities, but all as a public servant, both he and I. And I have seen his growth and development of his leadership skills, uh, his ability is the, to have excellent listening skills, but most importantly, to be a problem solver. Uh, in his role with uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi's office, I think that was a pivotal is the leadership uh, talent that uh, he practiced with all communities in San Francisco. Uh, but in particular, my relationship with him uh, was based almost exclusively to the mission community, where I engage with a number of nonprofit uh, community serving agencies, uh, coalitions that were established to address a number of uh, uh, local issues. Uh, and I shared uh, the opportunity with Dan Bernal uh, to express the sentiments of community uh, to which he responded immediately, uh, always with much respect. Uh, and again, he excelled with his listening skills and problem solving skills. So I am honored to speak on behalf of Dan this, uh, this morning uh, and request, respectfully request, that you honor uh, his uh, seeking of a uh, waiver. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. I last speaker. Good morning, uh, Madam Chair and members. This is the first time that I've ever appeared before this commission since we put Prop K on the ballot in 1993 <laughs> when we were led by the great Larry Bush and a number of other people for a successor to the whistleblower program that I set up in my office which uh, Ed Lee ran for me, and uh, he helped me understand that we needed to strengthen what was going on in this city in terms of the issues that you deal with. So I don't know if you've ever had any other former mayors before you. By the way, have you? Not yet. Madam Chair? Not yet. Have you ever had a mayor or former mayor before you? Because I want to share with you some, an unofficial rule in case your timekeeper has started my three minutes that uh, former mayors get five minutes for every year they served in the office. And so in case I run over. But today I don't have to do that because the people who have spoken before me have covered every single thing I could say about this man and I want to associate myself with all of them because they've been extraordinary. Perhaps the only thing they left off was that your staff has done a comprehensive job. They've done what they're supposed to do. And as you've heard from some of the others, now we're asking you to do what you're supposed to do. Listen carefully to what people have said about this extraordinary man, and then make an exception. Make, approve the waiver because the decimal dust that is covered in that rule with this case is not worth the extreme loss to this city that you've heard described by all of the wonderful speakers before me. So I add my voice to all of theirs in asking you to waive this rule for this particular man, not only because he needs it, but far more importantly, our city needs it. I've had my occasional squabbles with UCSF on the development side. They are terrific the best in the country when it comes to the medical side, but sometimes we have some differences of opinion. Uh, and uh, we need someone 
who starts the day they get hired, rather than someone coming from around the country who will take five years to learn and develop relationships with everybody that you've met today. So with that in mind, I respectfully ask you to grant this waiver. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mayor Agnos. Uh, if we don't have any other speakers, no other speakers? Do we have any speakers waiting in the queue? I have no, no callers then in the queue. I declare the public comment uh, for this agenda item is closed. As, uh, as everyone knows, this commission is given the power to grant waiver uh, in individual cases. Uh, we don't take this duty lightly. In fact, we take this very, very seriously and we evaluate every case that comes before us um, with due diligence. We can grant waiver, as um, Mr. Canning said, based on hardship. But to me, the most important factor is any action that comes from this commission must uphold the public's expectation of a clean and accountable government and that the public will continue to expect that no public employee will be gaining any unfair advantage uh, based on her or his uh, government position. Coming to today's um, hearing, I, I had one concern over the relationship between um, the Health Commission uh, commissioners and the um, contracts that they um, have uh, duty over. I am satisfied with the explanation from several um, um, speakers that this is more or less a ceremonial um, action, and I am satisfied with that. Uh, with that, uh, I no longer have any concern with with that one. The the one other. Um, question that people had was, is this a popularity contest? If we can turn out everybody to fill up this room, then the commission may feel compelled to grant, to take any action. I, for one, can let you know that whether it's one person or 100 people speaking on any item, we look at the facts. We do not uh, get swayed by whether this is a popular issue or unpopular issue. In fact, most of this commission's action are, are considered not very popular in in the eyes of the um, in in the eyes of some. So I want to put that uh, to rest. The third um, factor. Uh, that the staff had mentioned was hardship. As we had uh, deliberated in previous cases, hardship is not 
is really broadly defined, and we can define that. And we have the um, um, duty, to me, to explore beyond the individual's financial hardship. We had considered in previous cases hardship in terms of the person's, um, beyond the person's financial situation, but that person's professional, personal uh, growth, interests, uh, the opportunities, uh, and also the broader community's hardship. Uh, what that meant was, um, what happens if the waiver is not granted? The hardship, of course, is gonna be impacting the individual, but what happened to the folks who expect to receive the talents, the skill set, the compassion, the passion, the knowledge that this person will have <clears throat> in furthering um, this community? And um, interestingly, the previous three uh, waivers that we had granted were for, for folks who were going into other uh, sectors of public service, whether it's nonprofit or other public service. And in this case, um, I, as a US UCSF patient, understand the critical importance uh, public health played whether you are with Department of Public Health or UCSF, we're all in one. Public health is, is we need to operate as one body. And there are other concerns over um, whether the, the position could be occupied by someone else. Um, I think we've heard from the members of the public, and even though that should not be the only factor that affect us, but one thing that really uh, stands out for me is we are, we have someone who's dedicated his entire public service career to San Francisco. And through those years, he's had developed the knowledge, especially the, the knowledge and commitment of working with the city's very diverse population, specifically the very underserved, underrepresented, um, the, the voiceless um, members in, in these communities. And that is the asset that he's gonna bring to this position should he be offered this position? Uh, should he be um, allowed to accept this position? And I think that that to me, if that doesn't happen, that to me is a hardship, not only for uh, Mr. Bernal's personal, professional um, uh, commitment um, and his life service, is also going to impact the city's um, disadvantaged communities. So with all that um, that I have decided that uh, it, I am now comfortable 
to make a motion to grant a waiver to Ms. Bernal to, uh, to accept the UCSF was, uh, offer, if it's still um, being offered to him, with just two conditions. One is um, he would need to, and, and I'm sure he would do that already, would need to re, uh, resign from the health commission and the second one is that he would need to um, avoid any contact with uh, the, any members of the Department of Public Health and the commission for a one-year period. So uh, with these conditions, I'd like to make a motion to grant a waiver uh, for, his, for Mr. Dan Bernal's post employment um, waiver. Um, if I could entertain a second or? Ma Madam Chair, some of your colleagues may also like to make some comments. Please. I know yeah. I would. Uh, maybe we can make a second first and then we can make comments. Do we have a second I, first? I, I'm happy to second it, but I also would like to make a comment if that's okay. Um, thank you. Second, so. But before we proceed to the vote, I also want to make a quick disclosure for transparency that earlier this week I received a phone call from Supervisor Peskin who echoed what he said in his letter and his public comment. The only additional point he made on the phone was to suggest that maybe working for an elected might not actually be as desirable as one might assume at first glance. Um, I think he was joking, but I'm not sure. <laughs> with, with that aside, uh, I want to address a few topics. One, um, echoing Chair Lee's comments, um, we don't review we, these waiver requests based on how politically connected or popular an applicant might be, which communities they've assisted, nor whether we like or dislike their current job or the one that they're seeking. That's irrelevant. We just consider the facts and circumstances of each application in light of the purpose and requirements of the rules and uphold the importance of upholding the public trust. Uh, second, um, there were some public comments about the fact that UCSF is a nonprofit uh, medical institution, and I, I, I just want to say that I disagree with the notion that that is dispositive or means that the rule doesn't apply here. Um, the rule is meant to protect against the risk that a public official misuses their, their position for their own private gain, not just the private gain of an outside party. And here, uh, Mr. Bernal properly disclosed that this rule would represent a significant uh, raise for him, and so I agree with the staff that it's appropriate for our analysis to proceed within the framework of this, this rule and waiver process. Um, and third, as for the advisory role that the Health Commission plays, um, while it might not be as substantive as other forms of involvement in the contracting process, in my view it does still trigger application of the rule in the same way that a person who provides an evaluation of a grant application that is considered by a final decision maker uh, might be. So with those general points aside, um, I think Mr. Bernal has sufficiently demonstrated that denial of the waiver request would constitute extreme hardship here for a few reasons. Uh, one, he's identified uh, issues related to his financial situation that nobody has disputed. Um, two, he's sufficiently explained why the role at UCSF is close to a one-of-a-kind role, um, at least in the local labor market, and not every job is identical to any other one. This one appears both to lack comparators, given Mr. Bernal's particular interests and his special experience. Uh, my views might be very different were this a government affairs role at a run-of-the-mill tech company here, uh, where there might be a number of adequate substitutes. And then finally, uh, Mr. Bernal received this job offer through a competitive search 
not through his own initiation. There were other candidates. Uh, there were other finalists. There was one other finalist. There's no indication that he received the offer as a quid pro quo of some kind, as opposed to the merits. So I'll support it. Thank you all for being here. Um, I will also support the waiver, but this process is so important for good government, for transparency, that I want to lay out what I'm thinking about. And as Commissioner Salahi said, the fact that you appear to be a great guy and I'd love to be your friend is frankly irrelevant. It's got nothing to do with the factors we're supposed to look at, as I understand them. What to me is really important is your role on the commission, the health commission, sounds like your, your votes were not necessary for the contracts, nor were they sufficient. In other words, your votes did not create any legally binding contract at all. That, to me, puts it in a wholly different category from other waivers that we have granted, including to a member of the Board of Supervisors whose votes were not at all advisory, but uh, in fact that involved the same uh, employer, I think UCSF, ultimately. So to me, that's a very big factor. And when I consider undue extreme hardship on you, I consider that in the context of your actual role that triggers the process to begin with. It's also clear to me that your offer at UCSF is based on your qualifications. I think anyone taking a dispassionate look at this would be hard-pressed to see any kind of quid pro quo or any kind of favoritism. And that, I think, is at the heart of this process. We want citizens here, residents here, to know that government contracting is not a means to a higher job or salary. And there's no indication of that here. So that to me is very significant. Also note that um, the chair indicated some the restrictions that would still be in place. And I think those are, in fact, the other waivers that you're not seeking. Sorry, the other restrictions from which you're not seeking waivers. Uh, that's in Section 320, sorry, C3 and, well, I'll probably get them wrong, so I won't say what they are, but they're articulated in the memo. So there are still certain restrictions that will protect citizens from any kind of undue influence. That, to me, is very significant. Um, and finally, I agree with Commissioner Salahi that the fact that UCSF is a government entity <laughs> slash nonprofit does not mean that there could never be any impropriety, but it does, to me, put it in a very different context than uh, a conflict with a private party or a private employer, which has a much different interest in contracting with the city. In fact, in a similar different context involving dual employment, we are considering some kind of exemption for dual employment between the city and UCSF. So I think even though that's a different context, it points to the fact that not all entities are the same for conflict of interest purposes. So given all that, um, I'll be supporting the waiver, but I wanted to articulate that. And again, thank you all for being here. I wish we would have the same kind of uh, uh, engagement and other issues we deal with, uh, but that's not always the case, but, but thank you. I, I will also um, s support the waiver, and I, I echo um, the other commissioners you know, presentation of the responsibility, um, of the huge responsibility that this is for us to just analyze the facts and, and really apply the law here. Um, I, what was dispositive for me and what, what I really took a close look at was um, similar to, I mean, everybody's echoed this, but just what your role was, you know, and it does really see, when we look at our regulations, we have to consider, was it a perfunctory role? Like, what kind of role was it? Was it substantial? And, and it, no offense to you, didn't seem that way. Um, and so that was very helpful for my analysis of this. Um, additionally, I do think that um, the way this opportunity was presented to you was, to use the word competitive, like, I, I don't think it was like a quid pro quo. It doesn't seem that way, at least from the facts that are before me today. Um, and so I feel comfortable supporting the waiver. 
Okay, so if there's no other comment, let's take the roll, please. Okay, a motion has been made and seconded for granting a waiver of post-employment restrictions for Dan Burnell. On the motion to Commissioner Flores Fang. Aye. In favor. Vice Chair Finland. Aye. Chair Lee. Aye. Commissioner Salahi. Aye. Madam Chair, with four votes in the affirmative and zero votes opposed, the motion is approved unanimously. Okay, let's go back to agenda item number six, which is update discussion and possible action regarding the March 2024 Ethics Commission ballot measure focused on gifts, training, and other city ethics laws. Let's take a two-minute break. Yes. Uh, oh, two-minute break? Are you taking a break or do you want to? No, okay. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Like we don't break. need a break. We don't. Okay. Let's. Okay. Let's park somewhere. So in about half an hour, I'd like to. Oh, okay. Let's. Maybe we could be done in 20 minutes. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, all right. Okay. Uh, thank Is you, that, Charlie. Yeah, uh, commissioners. Um, Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as discussed in the memo regarding the ballot measure, uh, there are two interested persons meetings scheduled for next week, uh, which are opportunities for the public to weigh in on potential regulations they think should be considered regarding section 3.218 of the ballot measure, uh, which deals with incompatible activities. Uh, members of the public who wish to attend uh, either of those meetings are encouraged to email myself or the main commission email uh, to RSVP. Uh, both those meetings will have the same agenda and people are encouraged to attend either uh, meeting or both of them if they so desire. Uh, additionally, as presented in the memo, the commission is able to submit a ballot argument regarding the measure to be uh, included in the city's voter information pamphlet. This is something the commission has done in both 2015 and 2016 with its previous measures. Uh, a draft ballot argument uh, for next year's measure has been provided in attachment three. Uh, this item has been placed on today's agenda to allow the commission as a whole to comment on the potential ballot argument and offer any feedback or suggestions to the chair uh, before the language is finalized. Uh, the language for the ballot argument will need to be finalized between uh, December 11th and December 14th, which is when the ballot designation uh, is assigned by the Department of Elections and when the ballot argument is due. Uh, additionally, any potential rebuttal argument would need to be developed and finalized between uh, December 14th and December 18th, which is uh, when the uh, arguments become public and the rebuttals are due. Um, following uh, any discussion the Commission may wish to have on this item, uh, staff recommends the Commission vote to formally authorize the Chair to submit a ballot argument and potential rebuttal on behalf of the Commission. Uh, thank you, and I'm happy to take any questions. Walk us through the specific timeline again. Uh, now and uh, the yes, so uh, yes, so the uh, yeah, the, the uh, Department of Elections will uh, designate a measure title on December 11th, uh, which will be you know Proposition A or B or whatever it is, um, and then the uh, ballot argument itself is due on December 11th. Uh, or sorry, that December 11th is the day the designation was assigned, and then the ballot arguments due on December 14th, um, and then any potential rebuttal arguments due on December 18th. What about when does the city prepare its summary of the measure? What was that? When does the city prepare its own summary of the 
the Legislative Digest has already been prepared from the City Attorney's Office. Um, the voter information pamphlet materials, um, uh, I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head what, what their finalized uh, date is. Um, the Ballot Simplification Committee, which does um, a chunk of that, uh, they start meeting in late November, um, but don't, I think, actually publish anything until at least mid-September, or mid-December, excuse me. It'd be helpful for me to see what the, how the city summarizes this before we do our argument, but is that timing possible? Um, I mean, th there's the Legislative Digest, which has been attached to previous sessions. Um, the Ballot Simplification Committee, I don't believe, will be posting. I think they probably look at the arguments that proponents are submitting when they're making their determinations. The Ballot Simplification Committee will be meeting the week after Thanksgiving this year. Okay. So that, like, the first week of December? Yeah. And when you say, sorry, Mr. Kading, that the digest is already out, do you mean the actual language that's going to be in the voter information pamphlet? You know, where they summarize the measure, talk about the fiscal impact, all that stuff? No, that's the voter information pamphlet, which the arguments would go into. Right. So that's the, I'd love to see whatever the legislative aid, whoever does those, what that looks like. Is that what, maybe that's what Jamie is referring to that comes out in early December? Yes, the summary that appears in the ballot information pamphlet right. will be drafted in the first week of December, um, and it's finalized a few weeks later by the election department. You know, but those are public meetings. Do they work with Mr. Canning on? Do they cons yeah. consult with ethics staff on those? Yes, we're, we're involved with meeting during those meetings. Um, but yeah, but th those would be, I believe, published after the potential rebuttal arguments are already submitted. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so do we need action to um, yeah, I mean the, the chair to submit? Yeah, yes, the Department of Elections has said they would just take a submission from the chair, but on advice from the city attorney's office, they recommended the commission formally vote to designate the chair with the authority to submit on their behalf. Okay, so um, do I have a motion to grant the chair authority to submit? The ballot argument? Sorry, I still have questions about the process. Um, if the chair wants to submit something in her own name, she doesn't need our permission. I think, from as I understand it, this is a we can submit our argument. Right. So, on behalf of the commission, actually, it's a commission submittal, but it's the individual who happens to be the chair who needs to submit to the department. So normally, it's, it's done that way, but the city attorney is advising that we may need to have a vote to allow the chair to submit. It, it's a procedural thing. Yeah, so I, well, a couple of things. As I understand it, we have two more months before we have to submit anything, two more commission meetings, right? We have a meeting, I think, December 8th, which is before the deadline to submit this to the city attorney, mm. or 8th or 9th, something like that. So I don't see any reason that we have to do this today, frankly. I'd like more time to look at the argument. Um, is that timing? Do I have that wrong? Um, there will be the additional commission meetings. Um, I guess the concern would be without this vote, um, if commissioners aren't available at future meetings and there's not sufficient members that to might. vote, um, that could put the commission in a you know troubling spot. Um, and then the main reason to kind of designate the authority to the chair is given the timeline of the December deadlines. There's that four-day window for the rebuttal arguments, which would not really be possible to bring back to the commission in that window. Um, 
you know, I think one option could be, um, I mean, the, this could be, the details of the argument could be discussed at future meetings if the commission wants to, you know, have more uh, site, you know, more, more discussion over that. Um, yeah, that, that's an option. <laughs> um, it it might, might be prudent to authorize the chair to, you know, have that authority to submit, which that submission wouldn't, can even happen until the 11th anyways. Um, uh, with, with the plan to discuss it more at future meetings, that way there's at least that authority absent um, commission action. You know, yeah, no, that makes sense. I just, for me personally, I have a hard time, and this has nothing to do with the chair. If I was the chair, it seems problematic to me giving someone authorization to submit something in our name without knowing what that's going to be, right? Is that the idea? That we would be giving advance authorization for the chair to submit whatever she feels like, basically, which I'm sure would be wonderful, but just in practice, it, it kind of, I have a hard time signing on to something that I haven't seen, yeah. and that, that's my concern. Well, there was the draft attached to the memo. Well, I saw that, and... But I think you're talking about additional things, right? The, re the rebuttal to whatever comes out? There, yeah, and the, and the rebuttal is what the commission would not know what they're rebutting to until December 14th, and they would need to rescind that rebuttal on December 18th. So right. the you know idea would be that the commission designates the chair to take on that duty to kind of finalize what that response would be, considering unless the commission wanted to hold a special meeting between those four days, which would be logistically challenging. Right, no, I appreciate that rebuttal timing is awkward. To the extent we're voting on an argument that's already written, that we're not pre-authorizing anything. We're just voting on the actual language, which is included. But that one, to me, we have two months to finalize that, so that's why I don't see, I've looked at it for two days. Mm. I'd like more time to look at the argument that's drafted. Mm. So I just don't see why we're doing that. Why we, the urgency to do it today, and I'll let my colleagues jump in, but mm. those are kind of my two issues. Yeah. More uh, time to look at the argument, than authorizing language that I haven't seen yet. Those, I'm having some challenges with that. It, yeah. just, just to make sure, is, we just want to make sure that we have an opportunity to weigh in in the process, or is that in the language? I would like to have an opportunity that yeah. I see whatever we're submitting, ultimately, yeah. If I may just ask a procedural question. Um, by January, there's a pretty good chance that there's only three commission members. Mm -hmm. on on this commission. So if one member for whatever reason is going to be absent, nothing goes through. That I, I'm just talking about the procedure um, uh, challenges that this commission may face. And we worked super, super hard to get this um, ballot on behalf of the, uh, of the folks. I look at this vote as a procedural vote just to cover all bases, right? I am not going to draft my own things. Uh, in fact, I am working with the staff to make sure that everything this commission, this body had expressed, everything that we had voted for uh, would be included in our argument. The challenge is because of the four-day turnaround to submit the rebuttal, that's why we needed this vote, to make sure that this would be submitted, that we would have the rebuttal to whatever's going to be challenged to our submittal, right? And I am very, very confident that by working with the staff, understanding the last two years' de deliberations, we will be able to come up with a very uh, representative 
argument to the rebuttal to the, I'm confused, the, we will be able to submit a very effective re, uh, argument to the rebuttal or vice versa, whatever it is. So my take on this vote is we technically don't need the vote. The, the, the office has already said we'll just take whatever, you know, uh, from the commission, uh, the chair on behalf of the commission. But for um, complete um, uh, due diligence, given the history that this process have gone through, the city attorney's office has suggested that we take this vote. So if we don't take the vote, if something happened in December, we don't have a quorum for a meeting, the chair can still submit what we have. Uh, may I also the office on that? If you don't vote, yep. I'm sorry. I didn't if we do it. not have a vote today to grant the chair to submit uh, for December 14th and 18th to the ballot measure, if we do not have the vote, uh, and for whatever reason in December, we do not have a quorum, let's say, to review um, the materials, to, to vote on the actual materials, can the chair still submit the document to the elections office? Because the elections office already said we don't need a vote. We just need the chair to submit it to us on behalf of the commission. So my, my question to you is, your recommendation isn't an advisory or is it a legal requirement? Because the um, authorizing um, charter and ordinances don't give this as an explicit authority to the chair, we think that it is safest for the commission to make a motion and a vote that could happen in November or in December, um, but it's not a requirement of the elections department. It's just simply to make sure that there's no question as to the authority of the chair to act on behalf of the commission because the powers of commissioners are usually just those that are explicitly designated. So just to be on the very, very safe side, we don't want someone to challenge and say, well, this chair did not have the authority to submit this, therefore something's going to happen to the ballot because the last thing we want is to jeopardize ballot. It would potentially be an option for the commission to vote to authorize the chair to submit the arguments on their behalf um, with the understanding that at next month's meeting, the draft argument will be on the agenda again and commissioners can take the next month to offer feedback or suggestions to that that can then be incorporated. That way, the kind of authorization vote is still in place. Um, and, and part of the reason for having one person kind of have the one person on the commission be authorized to do that is that they're, in addition to swapping out the proposition TBD with the actual designation. Um, there is a you know, review period, a word might need to be changed from the Department of Elections, and it's 
much uh, you smoother operationally if an edit like that needs to be made that staff can work with the chair to approve that edit and not have to you know potentially go back and vote to, to the whole body I have a question that may be more for for Jamie but um, is there a way for the rest of the commissioners to offer input into the drafting process without raising Brown Act issues uh, following delegation of that authority to the chair if the if a quorum of the commission is communicating about this topic it would need to be something done in a meeting but it's something that could be agendized to make specific edits at the next meeting but I think could a commissioner could individually talk to the chair right and suggest stuff right unless the staff. if there's a if there's staff, a right? um, talk to staff yeah, could, could individual commissioners direct their comments to staff and staff could reflect those in a version that then goes to the chair not not directly linking who's saying what just there just there can't be seriatim communications between commissioners on the same topic yeah yeah maybe you can send because because i know that we all read the yeah. read everything you know related to this so i can't see anything new that comes up between now i mean you know we we have nightmares yeah. on, on some of these languages mm -hmm. yeah. so i i personally don't see any possible changes between now and yeah i, I mean i think you know from the staff perspective we'd be more than happy to hear feedback from individual commissioners between now and december that could be um you know, revised with the current draft. Um, I will say that there are limitations on, you know, it's a 300 word maximum and there still are the rules in place around political activities. So, you know, statements, um, you need to be kind of limited to neutral fact-based um, statements about the measure. Um, so, so given that, um, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, uh, you know, discretion or options with what could be fit into the 300 word summary. Um, but, but that said, um, you know, staff is happy to, you know, hear feedback one-on-one -on -one from commissioners uh, at any point. Okay, so what's the pleasure? Uh, if we do not have a motion now, um, what's going to happen, Mr. Kenny? Um, without a motion day, I mean, we could agendize for the, uh, December, for the November meeting um, and do that again. I, I'm not sure. I think maybe we'll have three commissioners next next month um, and three would be sufficient assuming every one is in attendance um, and could vote then um, what's this three commissioner issue is someone on I don't I, want to get into personal information but I believe somebody has an excuse absence I'm not sure off the top of my head because we're getting into the winter months and the experience is usually uh, when we have five commissioners we can always risk losing one member because no action will be done and in November we'll be dealing with some heavy issues like the ED search so um, I'm very I'm very very mindful that right now we're operating with four official members uh, come January there will be most likely hopefully four but possibly three um, and we cannot afford to lose one member. That's why for me, if this is a procedural vote, and it doesn't sound like it's a procedure, to me it's a procedural vote, 
It doesn't give the chair any more power to change anything uh, that we have all seen. But if there is any concern, uh, people want to do that, we certainly can discuss it. But if something happened in November, we don't have a vote, we missed a deadline, we do, we do not have a submittal, I will be very, very, very disappointed and the city would be very, very disappointed because we invested over two years of staff and the community time on this. So I, I still look at this as is a procedural vote, right? According to the assistant attorney, um, one individual cannot change anything that is submitted. And if there's any um, substantive change to the document, and we may need to trigger another hearing, right? Because we've already voted on the ballot measure. Um, yeah, I mean, this wouldn't be impacting the substance of the ballot measure itself. This is I just the, the, the argument. Um, Could be a period here, period there, but no substantive change no, not, would be allowed. We're, we're not talking about amending the measure. We're talking about just the argument yeah, about the, the measure. Mm. And I think we, we would be authorizing you to submit whatever you want. Mm. Not that you would. No. Uh, you would use it responsibly. No. But that I have is, never done that, and then for my well, next two more meetings, I would never will. No, I, one, I understand that, but that is what the vote would be. One option is um, the, uh, you know, the commission could authorize the chair to be the formal person to submit as the author, um, but could also put on that the condition that it should be the chair and the vice chair who communicate on kind of the finalized version, because um, two members could discuss the substance of this without uh, it being a seriatim meeting. Um, if the commission wants to have, you know, and it could be any two commissioners could kind of work with staff to be the final sign off, um, you know. My understanding is even if it's two commissioners, we would still need, on the matter, we still need to notice. That's what happened when we were dealing with the staff uh, interviews, the director interviews, right? So a meeting occurs when there's a quorum present. So if there are two commissioners directly discussing something, um, then there's not an unlawful seriatim meeting. Yeah, I just want to make one point. I wouldn't want this authority either. I don't think any one of us should be given the authority to submit it without the other folks weighing in. That's my point. And the second point is we have two commission meetings before we have to submit this. Okay, January is after this. We're talking about November and December. So I don't see the urgency to do it today, given that we've had just a few days to look at this argument. I'm not sure this argument hits everything I would want it to do, but I haven't taken a deep look at it. Frankly, it's probably 99% perfect, but there's just no reason to do it today that I can see. We have two meetings before this would be submitted, so they're kind of two related issues. I, I, I think I um, agree with Commissioner Finlev on this, just because it seems like uh, we may, there's the prospect of raising Brown Act issues by substantively engaging uh, on this following this vote, if you do, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we can um, agendize uh, this for the November meeting, um, and I guess maybe in the interim, if commissioners want to reach out directly to staff uh, with any feedback or suggested edits, um, then that can be on the agenda for next meeting. Is that so how about this? Uh, our next meeting is November 
9th. November 9th, 9th, right. Um, since we need to agendaize that, if anyone who reviewed this draft from the staff has any comments or anything, please let Mr. Kenning know before um, 10 days, 10 days to publish the meeting would be what? October, October, whatever. Let, the, let him know so that there will be a new draft argument for the commission to review on November 9th. On November 9th, there will be a um, um, action item uh, granting the chair or her destiny, right, or her destiny to submit on behalf of the commission um, the ballot argument for December uh, 14th and uh, the authority <coughs> to submit the rebuttal to the, no, to, to submit the rebuttal to the rebuttal to our argument on December 18th. So would that be good? Okay. Okay, public comment. Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue. Okay. Item number eight, which is items for future meetings. Um, given the previous few meetings interest and, and actions on the waiver request, uh, I would like um, the staff to give us a presentation at the next meeting, November, on, can you make November? Okay, since you're, you're gonna have your hands tied with the, with the arguments, let's do December, uh, a presentation on the current waiver uh, language and any any suggestions to given all that we've gone through uh, with the definition of hardship uh, and everything else any proposal from the staff for the commission to consider so let's make that a December item okay any other items members none let's open public comment Madam Chair, there's no callers in the queue. Okay, public comment is closed. Let's do item number nine, additional opportunity for general public comment. I see none. Adjournment. And there is no Meetings public comment for agenda item number yes. nine. Yes, <laughs> meeting is adjourned.